Shalom. This is Gary Duroshinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. Uh, reflecting on the life of David. You know, this man's life is, uh, takes up most time and space in the scripture. We know more about this man than any other character, except for Yeshua, than anyone else in the Bible. Anyone else. And so there, we get a real window into his life, into his challenges, into his successes, into his relationships, into his conflicts. And um, all of these things can serve as wonderful lessons for us in our own journeys. Whatever that journey, wherever that journey may take us. Here in chapter 25, this is a really interesting uh, um, moment where David's going to meet up with this wonderful woman, Abigail. And it's a great story. Um, and it's the lesson that we can learn on this is how to deal with conflicts. You know, last time uh, we're, we're looking on how to deal with temptations, subtle temptations. Everything looks like God has put the enemy into our hand. Let's take advantage. And that isn't what God wanted. But in this instance, we have an issue with conflicts. Conflicts always occur because people are always in conflict. You know, we, there's sin. There's always tensions that mount. And the question is, how do we deal with these kinds of conflicts? There's like two or three in this chapter. And it's interesting how they are faced. So let me just read some things for you and we'll uh, take a lesson from what we learn here. Then David rose. This is after the death of Samuel. But then David rose. He goes down to the wilderness of Paran. Now let me just say something here. Probably this is a wrong word here. You know, when we look in the Septuagint, it's interesting. It says he goes down to the wilderness of, of Maon. And it's very easy for the scribes to have confused certain letters. It doesn't seem possible he's in the wilderness of Paran because that's in the Sinai Desert. And he's going to come up, he's going to encounter shepherds. There aren't any shepherds in the Sinai. And then we find he's by Maon, which is outside of Hebron which is where Abraham spent a great deal of his time, near Beersheba, the southern part of the Negev, which is a very far distance from the wilderness of Paran. So many scholars believe there's probably uh, a scribal error here, and it really means the wilderness, the desert area around Maon, which is where Naval or Nabal and Abigail are. So let me just read on. It says, There was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. There is more than one Carmel in Israel. See, the moment I read this, I think of, Ah, now isn't that the mount upon which Elijah did battle with the Baal prophets, Mount Carmel? That mountain is near the... um, near the 
Mediterranean Sea, going north in the land of Israel toward the coast. In fact, you can see the water from there, and it's just a beautiful area uh, if you've ever had an opportunity to go to Israel and go up onto Mount Carmel. But there's more, than one, there's more than one Carmel in the land of Israel, and down near Hebron, there is an area known as Maon, which is what we've just read about, and not far from there, Nabal, or Nabal who's living in Maon, has a business in Carmel. So the moment you read about someone having a business, this is a wealthy man, right? Right now, we already know off the, right off the cuff that this is a man of great wealth and means. And we're told that the man was very rich. We didn't have to go that far, but we're told this. He was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep. He had 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep. Try to say that three times fast. Shearing his sheep in Carmel. And the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. He could use the spiritual spa day, you know. That's, <laughs> he could go to that spa day. But what's going on? So we have this wealthy man. It's a time, he's got a thousand sheep, he's got thousands of goats, so that means he has many employees. He's got shepherds who are overseeing his flock. And we're told now that he's very rich from all that has been provided for him and all that he's accumulated. And we're coming to this time in which the sheep are going to be sheared. And therefore, greater wealth. And after they are sheared, he's got the wool. And some of these sheep are going to be slaughtered and used for festive occasions, sacrifices, food. So he's a man of of wealth, a man of means, and opportunity is around the corner. Now, we're told something about him. Not only is he wealthy and has many resources, but he's also a person that we would not want to be friends with. You know, he's harsh, so he probably has treated his shepherds rather cruelly or putting a lot of constraint and demands upon them. We're told he's very badly behaved, so he's a wicked sort of guy. He is, uh, later we're going to find out that in light of all of his celebrative moments, he's getting drunk. So he's a badly behaved sort of individual. And if that's not enough, his name indicates to us his badness, if that's a word. The name Naval, it comes from the word to fall. And so it's used of fallen ones, for example, in Genesis chapter 6. The Nephilim, these fallen ones. It doesn't mean that he's necessarily evil, although he does seem to be wicked, you know, and harsh and uh, not being discerning. But what it seems to mean is that he was a foolish man. He was one who was not wise, not discerning, not sensitive. And on the other hand, his wife is just the opposite. She seems to be a very kind-hearted woman. She's beautiful outside. She's beautiful inside. She's discerning. She's thoughtful. She's reflective. And on the outside, she's very beautiful as well. So here's our first conflict. A husband and wife that are very different places in their lives, certainly in their characteristics. Now, it's true, opposites attract, but these are extreme opposites between each other. And they must have had conflicts, 
because we'll see what transpires as the story unfolds. So now we further read. So David, it says, sent 10 young men. And David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, go to Naval, and greet him in my name. So now why is he sending 10 men? Because this is a time in which, you know, there's great conflict in the area among nations. And these shepherds are out in the fields. They're not in Maon where Naval lives, but they're out in the wilderness. So in one sense, they're very vulnerable. An enemy can come in, they can swoop down, and maybe they can take some of the sheep, maybe harass some of the shepherds, maybe run off with them, kidnap them, or kill them, or something else like that. But these men were privileged. Why? Because David and his 600 mighty men were out in the wilderness. Remember, they're hiding from Saul. Saul has left them for a time. But they're out in this area. And so because David and his 600 men are in the same vicinity, no one has harmed these shepherds. These shepherds were left unmolested, as it were, could go on with their work. As a result, the sheep are growing. They're multiplying. They're feeding. They're grazing. They're getting fat. And there's no issues. So David says, well, now the time of grazing is over. They're going to be shearing their sheep. They're going to be butchering, slaughtering some of their sheep. Go down to Nabal and greet him in my name. So he's saying these are representatives of David. You remember who David is. Nabal ought to remember who David is. That name ought not to be a surprise to him. He knows that David was the one who slew Goliath. He knows David was the one about whom the women were singing their songs. David kills his tens of thousands, Saul his thousands. He knows David is a formidable man. And he knows the men with him must be just as formidable because they are submitting to him. And not only that, he has been one who's delivered us from our enemies. So you go in my name. You make sure you mention we are representing David. David, the one who slew Goliath. David, the one who is the son-in-law of Saul. David, who is fleeing from Saul. And so this ought to remind Naval just who he's dealing with. But when he greets him, look what he's to- they're told. David says, make sure you say this. Over and over again, say, shalom, shalom, shalom. Don't let him be frightened that representatives of David is here. But let him know that I come in peace. So he says to him, uh, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you. Peace be to your house. Peace be to all that you have. You know? So he doesn't want him frightened. He doesn't want him nervous. I come with good tidings, as it were. And so three times, shalom, shalom, shalom. And so what happens? And thus you shall greet him in verse 7. He says, I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us. We did them no harm. They missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. So ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. So David comes with great humility. Remember when he greets Saul, who's attacking him, he says, he calls him his father. And he says, it is your son, David. Naval must have been an older man. 
And so he comes respectfully. This is um, David, your son, one much younger than you. I'm coming out in deference to you. I'm coming in respect before you. I am, as it were, bowing down before you, greeting you with shalom, expressing to you that we have done you a great service and my men have done you a great favor. And we're not asking for a lot. We want you to be blessed, but we have needs and we have earned those needs. So would you be so responsive and in this time of festivities, don't make this a time of trial and conflict. Let's keep the atmosphere up and let's just do the right thing and share in much of your wealth that we have helped you to accumulate. And how does Naval answer them? In verse 9, when David's young men came, they said all this to Naval in the name of David and then they waited. So it's not like Naval said, of course, we will, be, we will send you stuff right away. You know, and we are grateful for what you guys have done and for David's role and presence among my, my shepherds. No, he, he sort of waits, you know, and, and he's taking his time. And then look what he says. He answered David's servant, who is David? Now, that's not a good response, <laughs> you know, right off the bat. Not even, well, let David know how much I appreciate all that he's done, but Tell him to come and we can talk about this. No, he just says, I don't even know who you're talking about. Well, he knows, but he's, you know, he's being insulting. Who is David? In other words, he means nothing to me. And I don't care who you come in, in his name. He is nobody as far as I'm concerned. And he goes on. Who is this son of Jesse? See, he knows who he is. He knows who his father is. Right? He knows who, everything about him. So it's not a question about his identity. It's a question about his loyalty to David and his association with David. And I want nothing to do with David and he ought not to have anything to do with me. And so he says, there are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Little twist of the knife, you know, has nothing to do with David running for his life. It has everything to do with David being rebellious against his king. David being rebellious against the one who's taken him in and made him his chief and his personal musician. The one who had given you opportunity to uh, kill your tens of thousands. And not to mention the one who gave you his daughter so that you could be married into the royal family. You know, And so he says, there are many such like this one who is breaking away in a rebellious way against their master. He said, shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men who come from I do not know where? You know, I mean, he sounds like he's from Jersey. I have no idea where you're from. Who are you? You know, but that verse is a telling verse because you see what dominates the word, the first person singular pronoun. I, me, my. In fact, in the Hebrew, it is used eight times. I think in the English, it's seven or six. But in the Hebrew with the verbs, eight times it is found in this one verse. That's Naval's problem. Why he's so foolish is because all he can see is himself. 
And he can't see anyone else. He can't even see his wife, who's beautiful and discerning. He can't even see David, who's accomplished so much for Israel and for him and his shears. He can't see beyond his own particular accomplishments and his own particular resources. And so when the scripture says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. What he has said in his heart, there is a God, it is me. And nobody else matters, and nothing else matters. That's what really makes one a fool. We all act foolishly because we're limited in our mental capacity. We all are sinful, and we have all have fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, our minds are affected, and we don't think as rationally and as well as we ought to, as clearly and as concisely. So oftentimes, we find ourselves acting foolishly, but that's not what Naval is doing. He's acting foolishly because he himself is a fool. And he is a fool because all he can see is himself. And no one else around him. So he's selfish. He's insulated. And he just can only see what he himself can accomplish. And what he himself can acquire. So David is not going to be a happy camper when he hears this. And so he goes on to say, shall I take my bread? And then in verse uh, 12. So David's young men turned away. That was kind of cool, right? Rather than the young men saying, who do you think you are? You know, talking to my leader that way, the one Samuel anointed. You're lucky that you're 60 and I'm 25, you know, because otherwise I would be, hand- no, they don't do that. They just, you know, maybe some wanted to and they say, no, 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 come on, uh, Yaakov, come on, Isaac. No, 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 let's just go back. And so it says that David's young men turned away and came back and told him who David, right, told him all this. They didn't leave anything out. Well, I can imagine. I don't know how many men he say, he, he sent, right? He's a sent, what, 10? Sent 10 of them. And they're probably saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And not only that, he also said this and this and this. Oh, and don't forget, you remember he also said that and that. And you can imagine these guys are just letting it all hang out with regard to what this man has done. And so David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. So here you go. Here's the second conflict, right? Is between David and Naval. David and this man. And look what he says. He says, okay, let's be rational now. Let's think about this. Maybe Naval just had a bad day. Maybe he saw all this stuff. We just came at a bad time. Maybe you guys, you know, just had certain inflections in your voice. They just came across. Let's just, let's be calm, guys. No, he says, okay, let's go. Strap on your swords. And he says, and he takes with him 400 guys. He sent 10 men to ask Naval for some help. He's going to send 400. I think that's probably enough to take care of the guy, you know? 400. David probably could take care of it by himself, but no, he's taken 300 and 99 guys with him, or 400, so there's 401, right, that are, that are headed to Naval. And so he says, every man strap on his sword. Now, what is he going to do with that? Why are we going to strap on our sword? To talk to the guy? Maybe, you know, put it out. We just want to talk to you, 400 swords, you know, get lined up. 
No, I don't think that's what he's planning on doing. You know, he's looking to say, look, if we just take the guy, we get everything. So, I mean, how hard is this? So David is reacting, and here's one of the problems with, with a conflict is anger, right? How do you deal with your anger? The Bible says, you know, be angry, but don't sin. David is angry, there's no question, but he's ready to sin big time. He's going to murder this guy, right? And not just with one sword, with 400 more swords, you know? So he is like, he's fed up, he's gone. And that happens from time to time, doesn't it? I mean, this, this is what's so wonderful about the Bible. It's so real. I mean, if, if something like this happened to me, I'd say, please don't tell anybody. It was a bad day. I made a mistake. And I, you know, don't let anyone know, let alone it writ, being written down for thousands of years for everyone to read, you know. But it's a real book about real people. And it's about real needs that God makes provision for. So what happens? Uh, and David also strapped on his sword. About 400 men <laughs> went up with him, while 200 remained with the baggage, with all the stuff that they had, right? But one of the young men, that is one of the shepherds of Naval, tells Abigail, Naval's wife. Now that's interesting too. Why doesn't the guy go to Naval? Why does he just go to Naval and say, hey, Naval, man, this does not look good. I was up on the hill with some of the sheep that we didn't bring back for the slaughter and for the shearing and so on. And I saw a cloud of dust coming up over the hill. I raced here as fast as I could to get here before they got here. And I got to tell you, I don't know if it was happy dust, you know. I don't know if they're coming to say hello and thank you, you know. So uh, I'm here to give a message. But he doesn't go to Naval. Why? Because the guy is harsh and so because he's so harsh these guys don't even want to go to him and because he's so foolish they realize even if I go to him he's not going to say anything that's going to solve this problem he's probably going to say well then you know go get your sword you know like I'm going to do that go get your shepherd's crock you know or whatever to stand off these guys so he doesn't go to Naval he goes to Naval's wife Abigail which says a great deal about her abilities. It says much about her character, much about her discernment, right? Because what does it say? It says that he told Naval's wife. And what does he tell her? Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master. And he rallied them to greet them, greet him, not in a good way, but in a bad way. And yet the men were, or he said he sent them out to greet Naval. But then he says, yet the men were very good to us. We suffered no harm. So here's the testimony. What these guys told Naval was true. And so he says, we suffered no harm. We did not miss anything when we were in the fields. As long as we went with them, we were okay. And he says, they were a wall to us by night and by day, all the while we were with them keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he's such a worthless man that one can't even speak to him because he won't listen and he won't hear what we have to say. That's why he goes to Abigail. He's concerned because David's come with 400 men. He's not just coming after Naval. He's going to take care of everybody. And so what does Abigail do? In verse 18, it says, Then Abigail made haste, took 200 loaves, 
200 loaves of bread and two skins of wine, five sheep already prepared, and five seers of parched grain and hundred cluster of grain of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and place them on a donkey. And she said to her young man, go in before me. Uh, behold, I, uh, uh, and she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband, Naval. So here now we have Abigail how she's able to arrange all of this stuff. I mean, she must have had her, this must have been a very wealthy man. He had bakers. He had cooks. He had servants. And so they're getting, he must have had farmers, right? Because they're getting figs. And so they're cooking up and they're slaughtering. They're cooking up and preparing the lamb, the sheep. They're picking the raisins. They're picking and gathering the clusters of figs. She's got servants. She's got uh, chefs. She's got people cooking. It's like, you know, a catering service, right? (laughs) Right in her home. And she's getting all of this together, places all the stuff on the donkey, and sends them off ahead. This is so reminiscent of the book of Genesis, isn't it? Where you have Jacob doing the very same thing in order to calm Esau. He sends everything over ahead of time. And then he follows up to greet his uh, brother. Similarly, that's what's going on here. And then look what happens. Abigail is going to follow them. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, David and his men came down toward her and she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain have I guarded all this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him and he has returned me evil for good. Boy, that's like Joseph, right? You intended it for evil, but God meant it for good. Well, David is saying a similar thing. I did all this for good and you're returning it on me for evil. And... um, and he says, "Go do do so to the enemies of David, and more God do so to the enemies of David, and more also. If by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him." So this is incredible anger on the part of David, and he's ready to kill everybody. But when Abigail saw David, she hurried. And she gets down from the donkey, and look what she does. Number one, she falls down before David on her face and bows to the ground. Remember, this is what David did with Saul. He comes out, he bows down to him, you know, when he cut off a part of the robe. It shows deference, it shows respect, it shows that you recognize his leadership, and it's a manifestation of one's humility. And so she does this. She falls on her face. She falls on the ground, and she says, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Oh, my goodness. She's taking responsibility for Naval's harshness and foolishness. She says, it's, Just place all the blame on me. Let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. I love this, too. Look how often she's going to refer to herself. Actually, in the Hebrew, it's a maidservant. It's a female over and over, she's going to refer to herself as his servant. And over and over, he's, she's going to refer to him as her Lord, Adoni, my Lord. And again, it's to show respect. And she also realizes, you know, things are at 
a very delicate place. And she says, put the blame on me. I should have known better. I should have heard of all that happened. I should have intervened, but I didn't. And so she says to him, "Um, let me speak to you. I think that's kind of interesting too. Look, calm down, you know. Put your anger aside for a minute. Hear what I have to say. Give me a moment. It's interesting how David is struck by her. Probably her beauty, but certainly also her actions and attitude. Why? Because he never interrupts her. He lets her speak to him. And so what does she say? She says, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Naval, for as his name is, so he is, Naval, is his name, and folly is with him. Would you like your wife to say that, you know, about you? Look, he's a worthless man, you know. That's what I love about my wife. She would never say anything like that about me. She would never say anything like that, you know. And I've mentioned it before, but just for the sake of argument, you know, my wife, we go back a long, long way. So if she said it, she never means it. If she said anything to guys, she doesn't really mean it, you know. But we've known each other since high school. When was that? (laughs) Did I ever go to high school? Sure, it was high school. We were like 15 years old. We've known each other, you know. And we've been married 42 years. It's been a journey, and it's been awesome, the things that God has uh, done in our lives with each other and brought us through. I don't think she'd ever say I was a worthless man. <laughs> she might say, I wish he, he was a more worth, worth, I don't know, I'm trying, I don't want to say worthy man, but, you know, more uh, uh, financially stable man, <laughs> that's for sure. But in any case, isn't that horrible, you know? I mean, this guy's got to be really bad. And unless she's just saying that, but it doesn't seem to be the case. And I think it's interesting how she picks up on his name, you know, for such is his name, you know. So maybe she didn't mind calling him, hey, Naval, Naval, (laughs) fool, fool, come on over here. Uh, Anyway, so she says, uh, and now, and, you know, and he goes on to say, now let, um, see, where am I, verse 26 or so. Uh, 26, now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt, that's another word for murder, and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Naval. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord that's all the food and stuff he, she provided. Be given to the young men who follow my Lord. And please forgive the trespass of your servant. So what is she saying? She's saying, look, put the blame on me. Here's some food items and things for the young men to make up for what I have failed to do. Do not, do not allow yourself to be thought of as a murderer, you know? Don't allow yourself in your anger, in this state, as justified as perhaps you might be, to go down with a reputation of being out to kill in order to get your way. Now, David will be guilty of murder down the road, but not here. And all because this woman is telling him Do not allow this 
to be your legacy. Don't become known by this rash act because your anger is not controlled. And so what does she say? Please forgive the trespass, and I love this, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord, talk about David, is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the, of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out. I mean, that's a reference, right, to Goliath? Sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel... My Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience because you won't have this sitting in your heart and on your mind as you're leading Israel as Israel's rightful king. I love how she's concerned for David's reputation, David's ability to lead, and David's experience of God's promises to him. I mean, what is she articulating? She sounds like a prophet. I know the Lord is going to do this for you. He's promised it through Samuel. She knows all this. She's reminding David of what Samuel had already told him. Don't destroy the opportunity God is giving to you for simply taking the life of a worthless man. And so she says, the Lord is going to fulfill all of his promises to you. And my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause, or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. When the Lord has brought you into all of your fulfillment of all this stuff, remember me. And then you can, you know, bless me as you see fit. So how does David respond? David says to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. What makes David so great is he's a teachable servant of God. He's a man after God's own heart. He's willing to hear God's voice through whomever it comes. If it comes from Abigail or if it comes from Samuel, he's ready to hear God's voice and be responsive to it. So he's thankful that God has made known to him to spare him this indiscretion. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from murder and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had been none left to Naval so much, so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him, and he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. Isn't that amazing? I've obeyed your voice. So David is wonderful in this regard because he's responsive. So how does the story end? And Abigail, Abigail comes to Naval, and behold, he's holding a feast, like the feast of a king, though he's not a king. And Naval's heart was merry within him, for he was drunk. Notice he's not merry because he's joyful over all that is accomplished and all that God has provided, but because he's inebriated. And so he's, it's, it's like anything good that happens to him is out of a bad thing. 
you know. And so what happens? Abigail wants to tell him what has transpired, but she can't. She told him nothing at all until the morning light because he's drunk. But in the morning, when the drunkenness has worn off, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So it's an amazing thing. Oh, I just wanted to mention something that happened yesterday. You know, oh, what was that? Well, David was here with 400 men and he was coming to kill you. But, and before she can explain, it's like, uh, it's, it's like, what? You know, and bang, he's done. It's over. And 10 days, he goes into a coma or whatever, stroke. And 10 days later, it says the Lord strikes him and he dies. In verse 39, when David heard that Naval was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord. You know, you know, it's sort of like fiddling. Is there a blessing for the czar? Yes, may he be far away from me. The Lord bless the czar far away from us. Well, you know, he's dead. Praise God. <laughs> you know. Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Naval. And he's kept back to serve from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned evil of Naval on his head. And then David sat and spoke to Abigail and took her as his wife. Holy mackerel. It's like he, he works out like a bandit. You know? He gets stuff. His, he he is, gets blessed by God. He doesn't become a murderer. And he gets the wife too, right? He gets the girl too. And so, you know, this is just remarkable. And really, it's really not so much him getting Abigail as it is Abigail getting rid of a Nabal, right? And gaining a man after God's own heart and being blessed you know, at the rest, for the rest of her life, perhaps. So some, uh, some concluding thoughts, some closing ideas that I'd just like you to think about. Number one, we live in a fallen world. And even the best of us, as David is one of the best, is a man who can be, can fall into anger. An anger that's uncontrolled. An anger that is destructive. And an anger that, if it does not result in murdering with a sword, can murder with words. Right? Because we can murder one another through insults. We can murder one another through gossip. We can murder one another through demeaning. It's good when there is an Abigail in our lives. Certainly the Spirit of God is in our hearts. Can uh, sort of waken up our conscience to think twice. So when you do experience anger like David, from David's point of view now, anger like David, you want to be like Abigail. Number one, think, and think maybe for a while. Have discretion. Consider the consequences, not merely the initial reaction and uh, result. But think of the long-term consequences. You know, and you think of, she says to David, you don't want this on your conscience when you're sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. You know, you want to keep your conscience clear, not only for the present, 
but also for the future. So when we're angry, anger is not in and of itself a sin. But anger that is not addressed can lead to great sin. And so it needs to be addressed. It needs to be dealt with. And how do you deal with it? You need to think. You need to have discretion. You need to think about the short-term impact as well as the long-term impact. There needs to be a willingness to forgive. Like David said, okay, we're going to forgive. Remember she says, it's my fault. She takes the blame, though it's not her particular blame or her personal blame. But he's ready to forgive and put it behind him. And I'd say a second thing, too, is remember God's blessings. When we encounter anger, it's because there's conflict. There's differences. But remember, God is blessed. And God will continue to bless. And God has made specific promises to David. And he's also made wonderful promises to us. The work that God has begun in us, he will complete Until the time of Messiah. So this momentary setback. This momentary conflict. Will not keep us. From God fulfilling all he intends for us. So do not react to the conflict. Or the anger. In a way. That you'll now have to live with that. On your conscience. For a very long time. Because God's blessings are yea and amen. And they will come. Even as David. The blessings to David will yet come. Keep in mind for David, he's running from Saul for years. And not only that, he's anointed king not once, not twice, but three times before he will sit on the throne in Jerusalem. So we don't know what the journey is, and we don't know the road and the turns and dips and rises that are going to come. But eventually we'll end up where God wants us to be. And we will experience the fullness of his blessings. So you be honest about the conflicts. And you can talk openly like Abigail does to David. But you also have to listen both ways. David has to listen to Abigail, which he does. And then we have to respond to God's grace. Messiah has come into the world. So that the anger that we might have might be dealt with. And he is the the example par excellence of what forgiveness is. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And certainly if he can forgive his executioners and he can forgive us, we can work at hearing one another, forgiving one another, and moving forward in the blessings God has for all of us. And the greatest blessing is the gift of salvation that God has provided through his son. And if you have never embraced it, and if you've never accepted him, you need to do that so that you might have life everlasting and have life more abundantly. So let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness. We're grateful, Lord, for this wonderful story in the life of David. It's such a real life moment. And we pray, Lord, we might learn the lessons that are captured here. Father, when we encounter conflict, because our whole life will be dealing with conflicts from time to time. For some of us, it seems like an ongoing affair. For others, it just invades us 
at various moments. And for all of us, at times we wish it didn't have to surface. But it does. And Lord, when we experience conflicts, we find ourselves being moved toward anger. But may it not be controlled. May we be able to deal with our anger and not let the sun go down upon it. So Father, might you give us the strength to be discerning and thinkful and, and uh, thoughtful that we not let our anger run amok. May we be open and responsive and teachable as David was so that our anger might be kept in check. And may we remember the great blessings you have promised us and bestowed upon us so that when those moments of conflict and anger surface, they do not become the story, but only a small moment in the greater story of the unleashing of your great blessings upon us. Grant us your spirit and grace to live this way, we pray. For we ask in Messiah's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers. And if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.